The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Father Matt Malone, Editor-in-Chief of America Magazine. And I'm Carrie Weber, Executive Editor for America. And each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world, gathered by our team at America Magazine. And one of our team joins us here in the studio, uh, Tim Reedy, who is our deputy editor-in-chief. Nice to see you, Tim. Yes, good to be with you all. It's been a while since we've been back together. Well, we thought we would get the band back together for... uh, Our reunion tour (laughs) of one hour today. Yes, exactly. Um, For for our grand finale, a little bittersweet. After five years, uh, America This Week is coming to an end on... uh, the on the Catholic Channel. Yeah. Uh, of course, the work of America and the issues that we talk about is not coming to an end, and uh, we will continue to do what we do at AmericanMagazine.org and through uh, a new season of podcasts that will be uh, launching next fall. And it has been a terrific experience being here and being a part of the Sirius family. That um, this is just the next evolution in our editorial development. Uh, um, you know, one of our uh, contributors at America Magazine is uh, John Miller, who has uh, really done some great re- reporting and writing for us uh, over the years and has contributed this uh, particularly good piece about the, the church and the opioid crisis. John Miller, uh, as we mentioned before, is a Pittsburgh-based writer and former staff reporter and foreign co- correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, his article is called, The Opioid Crisis Demands a New Solution Churches are hoping to be part of it. John Miller, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. We're very glad to have you back. Uh, No pressure. This is our final show, so, you know, everything (laughs) you say has additional weight to it today. Um, You're basically our bet. You're bet Midler to our Carson. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So tell us a little bit about how you uh, found this connection between the church's efforts and um, the, the current opioid crisis. So the opioid crisis is one of America's biggest, if not the biggest, health crisis. Uh, it killed o- over 70,000 people in 2017. And now people are kind of moving on to, A, trying to hold people accountable who kind of triggered the crisis by marketing these opiates for, for pain relief, and then, B, trying to figure out the best way of getting people healed. And opiates' is, addiction is a, a tremendously nasty uh, condition. I mean, it's very, very hard to shake. And so... Um, there are different approaches. One is to give people these sort of treatment drugs like methadone or suboxone and gradually wean them away. The other is to uh, preach abstinence and, and go, go cold turkey. And what different groups have been finding is that nothing quite works perfectly, and so people are starting to combine solutions. So you have churches offering medication, and you have hospitals inviting in pastors. Now, John, we had a, uh, you know, when... when when the country was in the throes of the uh, AIDS epidemic, um, you know, the, the church's role in all that was uh, was controversial. But um, on one level, the, the response of people who were at the ground, uh, sisters, Catholic health care workers, was, was really exceptional. They really rose to the occasion to confront that and to help the people who were facing that health crisis. Do, do you see a kind of similar movement emerging vis-a-vis the, the opioid crisis? Um, yeah, because people on the ground recognize the reality of things and that it's not always as easy and simple as saying just abstain from drugs or, I guess, in the case of the AIDS epidemic, abstain from sex or abstain from 
uh, using needles. Um, people make decisions, bad decisions sometimes, but that doesn't mean that they deserve to be punished or pay for them for the rest of their lives. Uh, they deserve healing. They deserve compassion. Um, and that requires very pragmatic solutions. So in the AIDS epidemic, clean needles or, co- or condoms. Uh, in this case, uh, treatment drugs or some kind of combined effort where you, you know, gradually work your way to abstinence. And this has become a big pastoral crisis. I mean, you quote the uh, the bishop here, uh, uh, Edward Malasik, in the Diocese of Greenberg. So it's right in the level where uh, Catholic leaders have to pay attention to this. And what are they saying? I mean, it seems like they're on the same page as the medical community in a lot of cases. It, it's a massive pastoral crisis. And uh, these very strong Catholic areas in western Pennsylvania and Ohio are some of the hardest hit in the whole country by the uh, opioid epidemic. Um, and they've come around to um, the this growing consensus that there's really no one solution, that it's way too vicious uh, a disease. It's not like it's, it's objectively worse than alcoholism. Um, it's something that just physically most people are, uh, it's not possible for them to just quit cold turkey. They need uh, a gradual solution. And as Bishop Malasek and Greensburg put it, a solution that involves the entire person, so psychological, physical, and spiritual. Yeah, one of the things you write about is the that sometimes people who are trying to um, heal from this addiction and who are using these uh, med- sort of like medical or chemical means to do so, there's like a, there's a stigma around that um, versus the, the cold turkey, which I I sort of uh, didn't realize myself until uh, reading your piece that that some people would sort of look down upon that and say like, no, look, you have to do it this one uh, right. c- certain way. Um, can you talk a bit about the, the sort of, uh, that, that, that tension between, between those two methods and the way in which it's viewed, um, in the medical community versus, uh, maybe the 12 step community versus the churches? Right. Well, the, the drugs got, got enmeshed in the culture wars, uh, in the 1980s, um, with the, the Reagan war on drugs and kind of got joined up with, um, abortion as a matter of personal responsibility and, and churches sort of came down on the side of uh, casting addiction as, as a sin, um, where, as Father Richard War pointed out to me, the, uh, the intention of, of, of the church should be to heal, and that what, what Jesus did primarily during his three years of ministry was heal uh, and not uh, castigate people for their, for their sins. And so the church is sort of gradually weaning itself away from this position, um, because like I said, it's just too nasty a crisis to have this hard line that you need some practical medical um, solutions along with, with spiritual care. Um, and it's interesting that, that uh, states and governments and, and hospitals are finding the same thing. The um, main uh, sort of anecdotal character in, in the story is a woman who uh, was prescribed a Percocet, an opiate after childbirth and became addicted to heroin and found herself at a, a treatment center in, in Huntington, West Virginia, one of the worst places hit um, at this, this um, Marshall University sort of a public uh, hospital a unit called PROACT that offers a medical solution for, for this woman and also spiritual care. So she's now getting both, and she credits it for her recovery, this kind of comprehensive approach. Yeah, that's interesting. Those places that serve, give the, kind of play these multiple roles, that they can provide the medication, um, but they also have, you know, some cases a pastor on call who can provide spiritual assistance, group therapy um, is a big part of Aaron's story. So people are recognizing the need for this kind of diverse approach. 
That's right. And it's really because things have just been so bad. I mean, it's been such a, a source of suffering. And it, it's sort of humbling, I think, both for, for doctors and, and for, for pastors um, and for psychologists. I mean, people are now willing to try anything that works because it is just like such a vicious disease. I mean, one of the, my sources was a man who had been addicted to heroin. He told me during our conversation, uh, talking to you makes me possibly want to use again. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just such a, a tricky, delicate disease. And I'm sure any of our listeners who have uh, known somebody who struggled with this, who suffered with this, just knows how difficult it is. And I'm really excited about this story and hopefully the impact it can have and hope, hopefully steer the conversation towards this more pragmatic, comprehensive approach and help people heal. You live in Pittsburgh. You do a lot of reporting in West Virginia, Western Pennsylvania. You have for us, for other people to kind of see this crisis up close and perhaps a way that maybe those of us in New York are not seeing it. I mean, what what is it like? Do you feel a responsibility to continue to draw attention to this since you're you're closer to it in many ways? Um, I mean, definitely. It's sort of uh, impossible to avoid if you drive through any of the towns around in this area. Uh, some of them still have these so-called pill mills with, like, a picture of, like, a, a personified pill with a smiley face dancing, which I saw the other day in a town called Beaver Falls, and I just thought it was so shocking. So there's still this kind of remnant of this culture that grew up in the 90s around uh, these pharmaceutical companies, notably uh, Purdue Pharma, uh, marketing these opiates as a safe uh, pain relief. And then these um, clinics that were little pharmacies that would uh, hand out prescriptions and, and would sort of have these doctors who would, many of whom are going to jail now, who would give away or prescribe, you know, five, ten uh, pills a day to anybody. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it has contributed to the devastation in this area. So I, I do feel a responsibility as a journalist to make it one of the things that I, I write about and report about. Well, I was very surprised when uh, I read the piece, even of the woman you, you mentioned at the start of the article who was uh, received Percocet for um, post-childbirth pain because it seemed to me to be a very um, strong uh, painkiller for such things. Like, I don't know anyone. It, it, my understanding is she did not have a C-section. I don't know anyone who has just gotten more than, like, Motrin in the immediate uh, following with childbirth. So it's interesting because I think that f- follows the what is the responsibility of doctors who make these uh, painkillers available to people and possibly more so than they should. So one of the things that happened, and, and you're right, and, th- and thanks to you, Carrie, I did some follow-up reporting on this, and it, it is quite exceptional to receive a, a, a Percocet for a regular childbirth, but it is something that has happened and it sort of comes from this change in the, the philosophy of the medical profession where pain was added as a, a sixth vital sign. And pain relief became like a primary mission of, of um, doctors, not just long-term care. And because of the U.S. medical system and the cost of a lot of the therapy that does not involve a pill, the pills became this way cheaper, way more efficient, way quicker alternative to other more organic, more logical, and, and less destructive uh, methods of pain reduction, like exercise, for example, or um, other treatments that are, are just not as destructive. And what, what is the demographic of the people who are most profoundly affected by this crisis? Uh, you know, I, I think we here in New York being um, demographically myopic, <laughs> you know, we tend to think that this is a, that, that this is, this problem is probably worst in in uh, these kind of po- depressed post-industrial places in Ohio and Kentucky, West Virginia, um, is that true? Does it does it does it does this really cut across uh, demographics, or is it is a is one kind of community uh, or several kinds of communities most profoundly affected? 
I think there's some sort of inbuilt, um, for lack, I mean, I think the right word is, is, is racism uh, in the coverage of this, that uh, drug problems in, in white communities get covered differently than in, in, in African-American communities in the cities, because there is a massive opiate problem in cities. And I talked to a, a Catholic Charities official in, in Baltimore, and um, they've had a massive problem. They've also integrated um, in the Catholic Charities in Baltimore more medical um more medical treatment into, the, into their their programs, so it's very widespread. This this touches all all parts of American society, uh, as well as I mean, the inner cities, as well as um, more rural areas and, and Rust Belt and Appalachia and the Midwest. When you're talking to programs that are trying to address the sort of spiritual um, and emotional side of this addiction, what are the, some of the challenges that their their people who are facing these addictions are trying to? Um, heal from uh, what are what are those emotional things that that need to be addressed? Um, most people get addicted uh, very early. Uh, it's very rare that people get into opiates past the age of twenty five. So there's often some childhood trauma or kind of direct trigger related to childhood that uh, has been unaddressed that um, opiates were kind of a substitute for. And so counselors, once they wean people or, or once they get people on the treatment drugs and kind of allow them to be normal, and Erin Job in the story talks about how the treatment drugs, she says, allows her to, to do the other counseling, to the other therapy, to kind of resolve issues that she had when she was a teenager that were not resolved because she got into drugs instead of confronting them. So that's where the, the two-pronged approach comes in, that you need the, the drugs to stabilize people, and then you can start the deeper psychological work that started when they were a kid. But there's some disagreement about those sort of that those transitional therapies, like right uh, uh, among people who in the recovery community and the medical community about you know whether those um, sort of you know transitional drugs or substitutes uh, are right, that, effective right. or useful, right? That's right. So you have like groups like Nar- Narcotics Anonymous who um, preach submission to a, a higher power and complete abstinence. And I talked to a man who thinks that. Abs- or, or the um, treatment drugs is basically cheating, that abstinence or recovery means abstinence and then change. Um, and so there, there are still these two poles uh, that are in some places entrenched, but you're, you're seeing a lot more flexibility and a lot more give just because there's a recognition that the, the extreme solutions are not working. And I talked to a man who tragically lost his son to an overdose, um, and he had been in an abstinence-only program, and they had inquired about medical treatments, and they were told that that was not a good idea. And the problem is that when people quit uh, and then they relapse, their bodies are no longer used to the quantities of opiates they were taking before. Right. And they take what they were thought that they, yeah. they thought they could handle and they can't and they overdose and die. And that's what happened to um, Terry Alibaugh's son, Eli, who's profiled in the story. So is there any, I mean, have there been any really convincing studies uh, to confirm one way or the other what the right approach is or the best approach? Um, I'm not sure about that. I, I Worked with a talked to a doctor at, at Hopkins, uh, Caleb Alexander, who's generally the the um, uh, sort of the one of the leading researchers on on healing from opiates, um, and he seemed to indicate that there's not enough data yet to, to sort of con- conclusively uh, draw a conclusion one way or the other. But he he himself uh, believes in, in the multi pronged approach and uh, and throwing everything you can at the problem. Now, yeah. John, one of the people you quote here is Father Richard Rohr, who many of our listeners may be familiar with. He says some challenging things here about um, the place of maybe uh, sin in our culture and maybe our obsession with other people's sin. And in this context, he's calling for us to help people heal and, and, and like Jesus did. That's right. So I, I have a, um, a family member, a cousin, who 
uh, was addicted to uh, heroin for a number of years. And in the family, it was sort of became this common parlance to uh, criticize her. And it really is not the right I- idea because people, one of the important things to understand about opiate addiction is that people make one decision early in their lives. And after that, it's no longer a choice that your your body craves opiates the same way it craves water. And so, I mean, unless you can fault somebody for drinking because they're thirsty, it's not really fair to castigate them as sinning because they uh, are responding to this craving that is already in their body. So the, the sort of theological answer is the first decision to take the opiate uh, is possibly sinful. But after that, you're just struggling and you need help in your struggle. And that's what um, Richard War so wonderfully articulated in, in our interview. And that was one of the most interesting and, and best interviews I've ever had as a journalist. And he was just so eloquent in reminding me and us that uh, um, as Christians that the the primary mission is healing and not criticizing other people for their sins. Right. And, that, and you know, he also, I think, helped to remind us that, you know, in, you know, a, a sin presupposes a kind of freedom of choice that is the very opposite of addiction, right? Um, That's right. But, yeah, and, you're yeah. just your 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 freedom, your choices are uh, just very seriously compromised, and so it's hard to even when you are in the throes of an addiction like this, it's hard to even talk about it as a moral issue. That's right. And now you have these street drugs like fentanyl and carfentanil, which are 50 to 100 times more potent than than heroin. Uh, and so it really is this unique and, and very, I mean, extreme uh, version of addiction even. I mean, it's, it's beyond anything else that uh, public health officials anywhere in the world have ever dealt with. I mean, this is one of the biggest problems that any through public health community has ever tried to deal with. And that's why you're seeing this desperation and this, this willingness to extend an arm to churches. And on the other hand, the church's willingness to uh, invite in doctors and, and really throw everything they can at the problem. Was there something about your covering this issue um, that's really surprised you that came up that was that was new um, to you? Uh, yeah, I, I, it hadn't been clear to me um, kind of how, uh, how necessary. I mean, I, I sort of assumed that Treatment drugs were this, um, you know, ex- exceptional uh, solution that if you really had to, you would. And they, they come with their own problems. I mean, there's sort of the secondary market on the street in, in treatment drugs. People try to score Suboxone because it does give you, you know, a minor high or pain relief. Um, but the degree to which medical people and even people who uh, are, are in, in church-based or faith-based programs um, depend on them uh, – and, and they're needed the same way that people need uh, drugs for heart conditions or for diabetes. Um, and so that I, the chemistry of that was not clear to me. And the, the chemistry of just how, uh, you know, I, I knew it was bad, but how just how vicious it is um, was not apparent to me before. And what do you think, uh, which, which dioceses and, or, or, or parishes are really doing the most innovative things in response to this crisis? Um, I mean, the ones that have the the, the biggest problems, um, the, the I think Camden, New Jersey, the Catholic Charities there um, mm-hmm. have a very ag- aggressive approach. Uh, Baltimore, um, in Greensburg, too, uh, a lot of them are setting up um, or, or contributing to faith-based uh, recovery homes where people can go. I know there's one in Western, Western Pennsylvania. 
Um, there's a woman in the story, uh, Nina Corona, who has a new ministry that she started after her uh, daughter uh, struggled with addiction in her teens that combines um, spiritual direction with uh, a, a medical-based approach. Uh, and so it's, it's really is catching on, and it really is part of a trend um, where you're seeing uh, faith leaders um, uh, adopt a, a new and innovative approach. Well, the piece is called The Opioid Crisis Demands a New Solution. Churches are hoping to be a part of it. You can find it at americamagazine.org. It's by John W. Miller. John, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your many contributions to America. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Matt. All right. Take care. So it comes down to this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, After five years and more than 200 shows and, um, uh, gosh, all those guests talking about all of these issues, you had a baby. I, mean, I had two babies. You had two babies, actually. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's extraordinary. It's been quite a run. <laughs> it has. It has. Is this the show where you you finally do your musical review number? I mean, we've talked for a while about you being able to s- sort of sing us off the air sometime. Maybe today is the day. Uh, pro- probably not. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if I get invited back for that. <laughs> but you know, I have to say that. Um, uh, I'm I'm really deep, deeply grateful to uh, Cardinal Dolan who first uh, invited us to do this, and for uh, the team here at Sirius that has accompanied us throughout this um, really wonderful adventure. Um, and uh, I said uh, on the very first program that um, America Magazine predated the radio. It only <laughs> took us 98 years or something to get on <laughs> get onto the radio, but what we did, we did it in a big way. And uh, and now, of course, we're going to be um, you know, putting our audio resources into podcasts that we are uh, releasing at America Magazine. Um, and we will continue to provide some content here from America on the on the Sirius channel. Yeah, the- you'll be able to hear some of those podcasts uh, in this time slot for a while. So we've got Jesuitical, which is our podcast for, young, well, by our young hip lay editors uh, for people of all ages who <laughs> are young young at heart, uh-huh. uh, hip and whatever they want to be hip and so lay. that's not that's not the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> right. uh, so, but you would have heard a number of those folks on the air as a as guest hosts, uh, Zach Davis, Olga Segura, and Ashley McKinley. I think they've all been on the show. They've all been times. on the show, yeah. so you can hear more from them, uh, as well as our Inside the Vatican podcast, which is uh, starring uh, Colleen Dully and uh, Jerry O'Connell, who is our Vatican correspondent. And the two of them have an intergenerational conversation about news uh, at the intersection of the Church and the World coming out of the Vatican. So yeah. you'll be able to hear both those shows on uh, in this time slot uh, for the next couple of months. Yeah, and you can find at americamagazine.org all of our other audio programming and podcasts. You know, the... Uh, uh, the the, the podcast that we have on the sexual abuse crisis deliver uh, us deliver us um, and and uh, we're also we also have the podcast the examine by Father James Martin right which mm-hmm. is a guided reflection on the events of your daily life and how to find God there yeah um, the prayer prayed uh, by Saint Ign- that Saint Ignatius has encouraged all the Jesuits to pray twice a day right right and <laughs> but it's for everyone yeah we're not we won't ask you if you've and we've got some more day. products in the yes. works well, <laughs> i don't think we're announcing anything yet but we yeah. have a couple and new... we also have uh, the word podcast which oh, is a scriptural yeah. refre- reflection for your weekly reading so if you, you know if you want to supplement the homily you get a mass or if you don't like the homily you want someone else <laughs> right <laughs> you can listen to the word podcast so we invite our listeners to uh well 
continue to listen to the Catholic Channel and all the great programming that they offer here uh, and the great work that they do every day. Um, and uh, and also, uh, journey with us across the street to our headquarters, at, and which you uh, can access via americamagazine.org and find out all of the content which uh, we will continue to produce there, and as we have for now for 110 years. Yeah, and and to invite people to visit. I mean, we yeah, Tyler, got, yeah. Tyler, you can come. You can come. It's, we we're right across the street. Uh, yeah. When you miss us, as I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's just sort of laughing. So I'm going to just you will interpret that as as we may. Yeah, exactly. But those the sort of person to person events that we we hold and bringing people in to have these discussions. So. It's uh, it's quite a journey we've had over the last five years, not just on the show, but just from our old offices on 56th Street to the state of art headquarters we have now on Sixth Avenue. Yeah, right. no, exactly. It's a great and it's a great space. Come, we have a what's our next event? Next event is on healthcare. healthcare June tenth. June tenth. Yep. Show up, talk about healthcare. So you are always welcome. And uh, <laughs> so our thanks to everybody at Sirius. Our thanks to everybody at the Catholic Channel. Um, most of all, thank you, our listeners, who have. Uh, uh, have been tuning into this program for the last five years. Um, obviously, we do all of this for you to serve uh, uh, the church and the world in the United States, and uh, we can't couldn't imagine doing it without you because we do no, it for you. It's been so it's been a lot of fun to to hear from listeners over the years, and uh, like I was at mass once, and someone was like, "Hey, I think I think I listened your to your radio familiar. show." You said, <laughs> she's like, "I may have seen, yeah, like I I definitely listened." I was like, "Oh yeah, we we have a show, and it's been it's been fun to it's, to have those conversations." It's been with a people. great way to connect with people on other parts of the country, people who yeah. maybe not as familiar with us. You're, we often hear like, "Oh, I don't know American Magazine, but I know your radio show." Yeah. So it's been yeah, a, exactly. a neat, apparently a neat they, they've in, they've enjoyed our dynamic, you mm. and me, Matt. They have. <laughs> I heard that the other day. So my thanks to you two for being a great co-host. <laughs> You have been listening to America This Week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You can find all of the content that we talked about today at americamagazine.org. And to subscribe to America Magazine, call 1-800-627-9533. That's 1-800-627-9533 for a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. And that's the way it is for the fifth week of Easter. (laughs) I'm Father Matt Malone for Carrie Weber and Tim Reedy. And for all of us at America Media, thank you. And goodbye. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.